Good morning. I get the pleasure of reading the living and active word of the one true God. Romans 13, starting in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You may be seated. Good morning. I don't know if I said good morning yet, so I'm not, I can say good morning now. There you go. It's wonderful to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. I heard a story. A minister was walking along a road when he saw a crowd of boys surrounding a dog. What are you doing with that dog? Asked the kindly minister. Well, whoever tells the biggest lie, he wins the dog. One of the boys said, oh, my, 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 exclaimed the minister, shaking his head. When I was a little boy growing up here like you, I never told a lie. There was a moment silence as they each considered his words. Here, say one of the little guys handing the leash to the minister, you win the dog. Some of the biggest lies that we tell to others or to ourselves are when we try to make ourselves better than we actually are. Please turn in your Bible to 1 John 1. We're looking at verses 5 to 10. First John 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In verse 5, John qualifies what he's about to say by telling his readers that this is a message that he heard straight from Jesus Christ. He says, we have heard it from him and announce it to you. And it correlates directly back to what John wrote back in verse 3, when he says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what you may notice there that John wrote, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. So just a little side note there. uh, The we could refer to... He and the other apostles, also to true followers of Christ in this context, who share in genuine fellowship, since that's the point of the discussion here. The use of we is likely not John referring to himself in the plural. He's not saying we is in a royal sense, because he uses a singular later on in chapter 2, verse 1, to say I. So the use of we is why John says in verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's important to understand that because we're talking about we as the body of Christ, we as believers, we as in fellowship, not only with one another, but also with God. And that's not the right priority. Priority is we have fellowship with God first. And because of that fellowship we have with God, we have fellowship with one another. And this is what John is writing about. So John is likely writing on behalf of those who share in real fellowship through their shared faith in Jesus. It's like saying we, we who know Christ together would like you to know him too so we and you can share in fellowship together with him. So the real question that John is getting at in our passage here is, are all his readers true believers? Are they actually in fellowship with Jesus Christ or are some among them lying to themselves? Are some people just being religious pretending to be disciples of Jesus, or have they been spiritually born again? Are they actually walking with Christ? And if born again, are they living as a new creation in Christ, or are they still wearing their old behaviors from their former days as a sinner? Are they looking more like Christ, or is still the same person they were? Do you wonder what percentage of people attending church today and churches all across America are convinced that they are Christ's disciples? Just because they go to church, because they consider themselves to be a good person, or because maybe they go to the same church that their parents went to, and before them their parents' parents, and the parents' parents' parents. And so I must be a Christian, because I still go to the same church. That does not make you a Christian. So sadly, the study from the Pew Research Center published their findings as of 2020. It takes a while for the results to get processed, you can tell. So their findings as of 2020, 64% of Americans identified themselves as Christians, 64%. And the sad part about that is 50 years before, 90% of Americans identified themselves as Christians. But we also have to wonder, in either case, what was the basis for those people to think they were Christians in the first place? Because a lot of times people would say they were a Christian for those reasons I mentioned, because they've gone to the same building and everyone they knew were Christians, so they must, by association, be Christians. Problem is with that, they're associating themselves with the wrong person. To be a Christian, you should be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Apostle John addresses this very topic in our passage, and he sheds light on this question. John gives the implication to his readers, and this also includes us because we're reading along also, that they should examine themselves to test whether or not they actually do have fellowship with God, if they truly are walking in the light, as Jesus is walking in the light. Now, beginning in verse 5, this test is based on whether they are currently walking in the light as an ongoing action in the light of God. Now, wouldn't you want someone to tell you the truth? Especially if you think that you are absolutely right when Jesus says you're wrong, wouldn't you want to be told the truth? Wouldn't you want to know for sure if you really are a Christian and not just someone who says they identify as a Christian, but maybe aren't necessarily a Christian? Jesus says in Matthew 7, 19-21, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. How do you know they're a Christian? By what they do, by their actions. Are we walking in the light or are we still walking in darkness? What if someone truly is a Christian, but he or she has become entangled in a sin or sinful lifestyle, or has become confused by worldly, compromised values. John wants his readers to know the truth. He exhorts his readers to walk in the light of Christ because he wants them to be able to share in that fellowship with Jesus Christ and with others who love Jesus. John is also revealing here a contrast between the words of those who may claim to be Christians and their actions which may either prove or deny their claims. False believers claim many things, but their pattern of living does not lie. It may reveal who they really are spiritually. 
They may even think that they are saved, but if their life shows no evidence of submission to the authority of Jesus Christ in their life, they're not truly his sheep. Or at most, they're still spiritual infants that are struggling with the dark. There are three reasons in this passage that John gives for his readers to walk in the light. First, you should walk in the light because God has no fellowship with darkness. Look again at verses 5 to 6. We see here from John's statement in verse 5. We know that this is the beginning of his message from Christ, in which he proclaims to the churches that God is light. Light in this context encompasses truth and purity and reveals that which is hidden, reveals that which is not holy and not pure. The light is a picture of the presence of God and His holiness as in the Shekinah light of His glory, described as the glory of the Lord. As when Christ was transfigured on the mountain in Luke 9.29. Scripture says of Jesus, And while He was praying, the appearance of His face became different, and His clothing became white and gleaming. Mark's account in Mark 9.3 describes how Jesus' garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. It's interesting how someone would describe the, the most intense bright white light they can see, and they say, well, this is cleaner than any launderer we've ever known, right? It's so incredibly bright, this is the closest they could describe it. But we know that this is an intense, pure, bright light. Appearing with Jesus were Moses and Elijah, And they were talking with Jesus. And it's interesting that the appearance of those two men was also in light. They weren't dark in a cloud of white. Luke 9, 30 to 31 says, And behold, two men were talking with him. And there were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were in fellowship with Jesus, and they were surrounded by brilliant white Like they were in glory. This is a supernatural scene here of Christ's holiness, his purity, and his radiant light. You cannot have a patch of darkness in the light. And light and dark are separate. Even so, God, who is absolutely pure and holy and righteous, like bright light, has no darkness in him at all. That's what John is saying. There is no darkness in God. We don't need to make excuses to say, well, this dark is mostly white. It's got a little bit of dark in it. No, there's no dark there. There's no deceit. There's no impurity. There's nothing that's not righteous. God does not compromise with purity or righteousness or truth. He remains faithful and true and holy and righteous and pure without faults, without any moral defects. His character is always blameless. Therefore, he never has fellowship with darkness. He has not, does not, and will not compromise his holiness, but maintains righteousness at all times. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, we confess our sins to him. We don't say, I I want you as Lord, but I also want you to accept me with all these other things that I refuse to let go of, which I know are displeasing to you. You don't do that. Because then you're basically living a lie. You're calling him Lord, but you're actually Lord to your sins at that point. So when John says, walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, he says, no compromise. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're walking in the light, you're walking with him as Lord and master of your life and you're submitting to him. There's no darkness there. So when verse 5 says there is no darkness in God at all, that statement in itself dispels many of the lies of the false teachers who blame God for some of the evils in the world. False teachers even try to justify sinful behavior by saying that God made people with sinful tendencies and God made people with corrupted preferences. Well, that's not true. The fact is Adam and Eve have been created as sinless beings. But because of the rebellion of eating from the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, sin came into the world. And all people, that's everyone, that's every single person, all people since then have been born into a sin nature. There's not one righteous one among us, not one. Except Jesus, who was born to a virgin, did not 
inherit that sin through Adam. He was completely righteous and still is. And since the time of Adam, people have been led astray by their own passions. James 1, 13 to 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And then James 4 <clears throat> verses 1 to 3 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's not one person that doesn't struggle with all these things. Even David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up by murdering her husband Uriah the Hittite. But when he was confronted on that, he confessed. He says, I have sinned against God. And he was told, then you will not die. But the results of that union, that child will die. There were consequences. God forgives. But you notice there was an admission of guilt there. God has no fellowship with darkness because his very nature is holy and pure. If we say that we are Christians, that we are Christ-like, that we follow Christ, why do we still walk in the darkness and say, oh, we're still a Christian? It makes no sense. No wonder why the world has no concept of what a Christian is. Light reveals the truth that never covers up sin. The reason why the darkness hates the light is because the light exposes the sin that the darkness tries to hide. False believers might say that they love Jesus, but their actions show they actually love themselves and not Christ. In John 3, verses 19 to 20, Jesus says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And the sorry irony behind all that is there's no happiness or fulfillment in remaining in the darkness, only misery and loneliness and despair. And Christ wants to give life and give it abundantly. And all those who come to him, he will in no ways turn away. And he gives them light. He gives them life. He gives them forgiveness of their sins and a changed heart, and that is offered for everyone who hears and receives him, comes to him in faith. That's what fellowship means. It's a partnership, sharing in a relationship with Christ, such as between good friends and among family members, but even deeper than that. Believers share in a relationship with Christ. We are fellow partakers in Christ's righteousness and in the eternal life that he gives to us. To share in the light is to live in the light. To walk according to the ways of Christ. Hence the term Christian. I don't know if you are familiar with this, but the term Christian was actually used as kind of a, a derogatory term. They were calling them Christians because these people were always talking about this Christ person. So they had no idea who this Christ person was. So they said, oh, those Christians, they're always talking about Christ. And then they took that as a badge of honor. And we call ourselves Christians because we do talk about Christ. It's our joy to talk about Christ because we have a relationship with Christ. Do we still have that connotation with the term Christian today? A lot of people will say they're Christians. But sadly, I, I don't think a lot of people are that say that because they don't walk in the light as Christ walks in the light. And they're not always talking about Christ. And when they do, it's usually as a swear word or something that you wish they wouldn't use the name of Christ. Those who live according to the wicked ways of the world show by their actions that they actually hate the light. Look at verse 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. They're lying. They may even resent those who walk in the light because it makes their own behavior stand out as evil in comparison. Someone who claims to be walking with Christ yet lives wickedly is lying. I've heard people 
say they resent these Christians because they think they're so much better than everyone else. It's like, no, they have a, a better calling, maybe. They know that there's a higher standard that they have to live to because they're answerable to Jesus Christ. And they also want to walk in the ways that Jesus walks. That bothers many people, apparently, because it makes them feel conviction. So now I just don't want to feel like I'm being judged all the time. Have you ever felt like you're being judged for something that you were convinced was right? What about guilty? I've heard people say, I just want to have people accept me for who I am doing this, this, or that, whatever I choose to do, and not make me feel guilty. Well, why do you feel guilty if you're convinced that it's right? You've got to ask yourself. Maybe your heart's trying to tell you something. Maybe there's something that you're doing that you realize it's not bringing you that happiness because you're walking in the dark instead of the light. Especially those who claim to be believers. And like someone who spends most of their time in the dark, those who walk in the dark have become used to it and they can't imagine how or why their path would be any different. They may talk the talk of someone who seems religious, but they do not walk the walk of Christ. Have you heard people say, well, I'm a Christian, then the next word that comes out of their mouth is another swear word, followed by another swear word, another swear word, and it's like, well, we can say whatever we want. That's not what God says. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. How clear is that? Why? Because it's not lending grace to the, the ears that hear it. It's not edifying. It's not building up. And what we heard already from the passage that was read was that we're supposed to owe nothing to anyone except to love them, right? You want what's best for other people, and what's best for other people is to be called out of the darkness and into the light so they can know Jesus. Then Jesus does that. It's not up for us to make that change. We just present the truth and let the Lord draw them. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one? To 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you notice that the focus there is not on what they themselves think of their ministry. They may have thought of their religiousness as being spiritually impressive, but regardless of their own self-identification as a Christian, at the judgment, Jesus will make the determination of who were his true disciples from the reason they did things from their heart, who they really are. Many apparently will be thinking that Jesus should be impressed with them. But Jesus, who knows the heart, will point out what counts as what a person has continually done in submission to God. Only the person who does the will of God the Father who is in heaven will enter. And Jesus will say to them that he never knew them because they practiced. That is a continual behavior. If they practiced lawlessness, they were not of him. Remember Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Right? The ones that are not of Christ don't even hear his voice. They don't follow. They do what's right in their own eyes. And they don't truly partake in the nature of Christ if they're walking in the darkness. They're not partaking in the real fellowship. And that's what John is saying. Walk in the light and you'll have this fellowship. Because their fellowship is with darkness and their actions are evil, Jesus will say he never knew them. He never had fellowship with them, despite how long they said that they have been a Christian, despite how many churches they visited over the years. They didn't really belong to Christ. His true sheep will have heard his voice and followed him. And you know what? They're still following. They're still following. They're walking according to his ways. Those who are not Christ's sheep do not follow his ways. They go their own way. Now look at the contrast that John makes in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, that is with Christ, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And by saying, if we, he establishes that even if he and the other believers with him were to say that they have fellowship with Christ, but they were continually walking in ungodly behavior, they would be liars. Since they would not be practicing the truth. 
It doesn't matter how many people you can get to agree with you that you're a Christian. If you're walking in darkness and you're not walking according to the ways of Christ, you're not a Christian. And it seems like we're in the day and age where we can get everyone to agree with something, whatever you're saying. You know, you can always find somebody that can, on a social media that, yeah, I agree with that, but it's totally wrong. So what's the standard of right and wrong? God is. The light is the standard In Christ, we have a new nature. We are no longer of the darkness, but instead we are children of the light. Now look back to Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is not a short bus ride. This is completely permanent. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and rescued means that's a bad situation. And you couldn't help yourself. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a permanent move. There's no back and forth. And it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's all in Christ. God has no fellowship with darkness. So out of love for us, and in order for us to have fellowship with him, he sent his son to die for our sins so we could receive his righteousness. And through faith in him, we've been transferred out of the darkness and into the light. If you look back at Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God caused us to be qualified. Isn't that amazing that we weren't qualified to receive anything except judgment? And he qualified us to receive righteousness by taking on our sin on himself. And notice the beginning of that was give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Did you all remember to do that on Thursday? Give thanks to the Father for transferring us out of darkness into the light? For giving us salvation? Whether you had turkey or not, you had already the blessing in Christ that you can always be thankful for, that you're no longer who you were, but you are now in Him. And becoming more like Him. As you walk with him. Jesus told the people in John 12, 36 to believe in him, saying, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Notice the condition there as you believe in the light, you believe in Christ that you may become sons of light. You believe in that holiness of God manifested in Christ If you truly believe in him, you become more and more like him and less like the world of which you have been saved. Okay, now look back at verse 7. There is a progression here. You notice that John is showing in walking in the light. And John gives another reason here for his readers to walk in the light. Walk in the light and you will have fellowship with one another and be clean. Fellowship with one another. Like the sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light, John speaks of a fellowship, a sharing along with the condition, if we walk in the light, as Jesus himself is in the light. So we live according to Jesus' ways, not our ways, not like, I've got an idea and uh, I'm going to live by that. Well, the Bible tells us how we're to live, and that's our standard, how Christ is teaching us to live. And that's part of genuine fellowship. And having real fellowship is having a caring love for one another in Christ, which is part of our genuine relationship with Christ. How do you fulfill all the law? If I asked you a quiz, had a little quiz today, how do you uh, complete the entire law? The first and most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then there's a second one that's like that, and that is to... Love your neighbor as yourself. So where in there is there about loving yourself and loving you before you, loving yourself before you can love God or others? It's not there. It's not in there. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, anyone wishes to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. How often? Daily. Daily. Fellowship with one another and be clean. So you are having this relationship with Christ and with others And you're walking in the light, which means you're abiding in Christ. 
It's a mark of a true disciple in Jesus. That idea, uh, abide, it's like the, Jesus uses that term a lot. It's in the Greek, it's meno, to abide, to remain in. It's like if you are part of remaining and he is the vine, you're remaining in him, you're bearing fruit. You can't bear fruit outside of remaining in Christ. You see that? So the life is from Christ through you. And the light is from Christ and you're sharing in that light as he walks in the light and you walk in the light. Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission, you know this one? Matthew 28. How many people can recite Matthew 28? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying? is the criteria for being a disciple. Observing all that I have commanded you, following his teaching, submitting to his authority. The disciples of Jesus must be taught to observe all that Jesus commanded. And that means keeping Jesus' commandments, living according to his instructions for how his followers should live. For example, walking in the light. And before being cleansed in the blood of Christ, we were slaves to sin. I want us to see that the difference between who we were and who we are now. We justified our sins. We made excuses for them. But in truth, we did whatever was right in our own eyes, turning, in our own, turning to our own ways in all things. And that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied would happen. We submitted to the desires of our flesh and the worldly influences around us. But in Christ, we have a new master. Isaiah 53, 6. They foretold, foretold of all of us having gone astray and going after our own way. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He purchased us with his own blood at the cross. He redeemed us from the judgment against us. He took all of our sin onto himself, and we received his righteousness. So now we have this relationship with him in the light. Therefore, we are to submit to him since he is our new master and we have become willing slaves to his righteousness. What does that mean? People say, well, I don't understand this whole lordship thing. I can't really submit. I don't think I have to submit to Jesus as Lord. I can still keep, but you're really not following him then. If Jesus is Lord and master of your life, that means you submit to him. That means you agree with what he says is true. Romans 6, look at Romans 6, 16 to 22. And this is something we ask when we start following Jesus. Do we have to keep following him? You want to keep following him. If you are in him, you want to keep following him. You want to learn from him. You want to be like him. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in terms because, in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. means when you're doing your own thing, you're headed to death, to punishment. But now that Christ has given you new life, guess what? You have eternal life and it's already started. You're living that relationship now with Jesus Christ. Your benefit is that you are being sanctified, means you are being made more and more holy because you are sanctified upon belief, but then you also have a Continual sanctification is you become more and more like Christ as he purifies you. As you learn to say no more and more frequently to all those temptations. 
And you confess the ones that you didn't say no to right away. Because we share in the righteousness of Christ, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And we're also having a, a sweeter fellowship with one another. Do you notice, and I'll, I'll share this with you, and this shouldn't be a secret, but my wife and I love this church because the people of this church love Jesus Christ. And they love his word. And when we come to church on Sunday, it's because we worship him. Amen? And we want him to be glorified in all that we do. That's what it is to have fellowship with one another. We want each of us to have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. We want everyone to be able to say, as was recently quoted at a baptism, quoted Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me. Is that the cry of your heart? To live more like Christ? To have that fellowship and to be clean? That happens when you're walking in the light. But we still need to examine our life to see, are we continually walking in the light? You know, and Paul compared it to like a race, that you're running according to the rules. But I think the simple aspect of that is just walking with Christ in the light. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Walking with Christ in the light. Problem is, we keep walking in the light of Christ, rebiting his righteousness, but... We're also tempted in many ways, are we not? One way being to say that we have no sin or to say that we are preserved by grace so as to try to excuse the sins that we might commit, implying that they no longer matter. Maybe it's a trivial thing that you say, oh, well, I, I told a lie. I didn't mean to tell a lie. Or I, I cut that person off in traffic. Or I took that person's parking spot. I didn't mean to. Okay, so what do you do when you do something you think probably wasn't the right thing to do? You confess it to God, you acknowledge, okay, that was wrong. Wish I hadn't done that. There you go. Do we have to do that with everything? Yeah. It's called walking in the light, not walking with a little darkness and mostly light. Right? This was a lie that was being spread among the churches in the Apostle John's day by false teachers, saying they could commit as many sins in the flesh as they could because it didn't affect their eternal uh, their soul, it didn't affect their eternity because that's something separate. Yeah, so that's a lie. Everything you do is a testimony, right? You're either walking in the light or you're not. That's why in verses 8 to 10, John gives a third reason for those who would follow Jesus to walk in the light. Walk in the light and do not lie to yourself about your sin. Stop making excuses for bad behavior. The funny thing is, we just don't seem to have a very long memory. We forget that God is with us all the time. And he has a higher standard of what is right and wrong, because he knows what is right and wrong. He's declared it to us. Many of the false teachers at the time that John wrote this letter said that it didn't matter that much because those sins didn't reach the soul, but would die with the physical body. Other false teachers taught that sin was not sin at all, but actually just mere human expression and natural reactions to our human needs and passions. And ironically, that's still being taught around in our society today. Hey, you don't, don't deny your nature. That's what you feel like doing. Go ahead and do that. Wait a sec. Is that right? That's why John explains that those who say they have no sin are actually deceiving themselves and the truth is not in them. And again, he uses the condition, if we, and he says this to say, even if any of us, other believers, even the apostles, were to say that we have no sin, we would be deceiving ourselves, and the truth would not be in us. There's kind of a, a statement there that there's no Christian, even the most holiest Christian example that you've ever seen, the nicest person, the one that was the closest walk with Jesus, if they said they have no sin, they'd be a liar, and that's a sin too, right? Get used to the term, by grace. By grace we walk. By grace we live. By grace we have been saved. In contrast, verse 9, in verse 9, John assures his readers that if we confess our sins, so rather than cover it up, rather than denying sins, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? If you just confess your sin to God, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all that unrighteousness, choosing not to remember that. Why isn't that being proclaimed everywhere? You think, wow, I could be free from all. I've heard people say, you ever share the gospel with someone and they say, oh no, I've sinned too much. I've done too many terrible things in my life. You would not believe the horrible things I've done in my life. It says you would not believe the horrible domain of darkness that we would be transferred from all by the power of Christ by putting our faith in him and the forgiveness that we would receive instantly. Greater than all our sin, grace, grace, marvelous grace. To deny that we might sin or have sinned or are sinning, to deny that is to lie to ourselves. Even Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is there anyone here that wouldn't be covered under all? All? Okay, that's everybody. That's every person. And it's not to say that believers can continue living in a pattern of sin either because, well, we're forgiven, because that's not true. You can't live in sin because that shows that you haven't really tasted the forgiveness of Christ in the first place. You haven't been transformed. You're not a new creature. But neither is it true to say that believers have ceased to sin or that we have never sinned. What he's saying is don't continue that, an ongoing pattern of sin because that shows that you're not really in him. So examine your life. You say, well, I've been good all my life. Really? Is that true? And that is either ignorance of the truth or a lie, but either way, it's just not true because even not doing the right thing when we have an opportunity to do it, that's sin. And even having wrong thoughts, right? That's sin. There's just so much that we can be categorized as sin. It's anything that's not pleasing to God. And there's not one among us that is without sin. But Christ took on his, our sin onto himself and then gave us his righteousness so that we could be this new creation in him. If you notice even the next passage, not a little spoiler alert, but just going on to chapter 2, verse 1, um, gives you a little context here. John admits that believers occasionally sin. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What are you saying? Walk in the light. Walk in the light. So he's saying it's possible that you might end up sinning. Stay in the light. Walk in the light so that you don't sin. And if you do sin, confess it and receive that forgiveness and that cleansing from all that unrighteousness. And John is definitely not saying that believers have ceased to sin, but that we should no longer continue on in sin. Do you know, we were slaves to unrighteousness. Now we're slaves to righteousness because we submit our lives to Christ. Do you see that distinction? But believers sometimes get entangled. Galatians 6, 1-2 says that believers are instructed to help one another to resist sin. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, there's the law of Christ again about loving one another. But it goes deeper. It's also about the holiness and righteousness and being freed from sin. When we sin or stumble in our ways, we are to confess it to God and repent of that sin, to acknowledge to God that what we do is wrong and then make every effort to turn away from that. You know what that means? Stop doing that. When? When should you stop doing that? Immediately. Right? That's kind of... There was an old story. He said, I went to the doctor. I said, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, don't do that. Well, it's like the same thing with sin. Well, it's ruining my life when I sin. Well, stop sinning. Take action to not be in the place where it usually happens when you sin. Or where you're tempted. Or where you know this is a weakness for you. Turn away from it and ask help. We're never strong enough, you know, by the way on our own. We need Christ. We need him every moment. 
as we walk in the light. Notice that walking in the light. It's walking in the light with Christ as Christ is in the light. If you're saved, it's because you trust in Jesus for your salvation and not because you are trusting in your own efforts to be righteous. I'm just assuming that. You know that, right? Everyone say, yeah, well, Christ is the only righteous one. We say that, and yet our actions sometimes don't show that. Sometimes our actions say, well, I'm good enough. Really? Don't you want to be better than that? Don't you want to be more like Christ? I want to be called a Christian because I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, and I want to be like him. And I want to talk about him all the time. I don't care if it annoys people that I'm talking about Christ. Do you care if people are bothered by you mentioning Christ? I hope not. Because it's the hope of salvation by talking about Christ. And to insist that you are worthy of heaven on the basis of your own efforts or on the basis of you or your family's submission to traditions. I mean, you're saying you've been in the same church as your parents have been in the same church and so on and so on. Your great-grandfather's church and so on and so on. That doesn't save you. It's to deny the truth, to deny the scriptures, and it's to accuse God of lying because there's salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12, that's a freebie it's not up there. There's no other name given under heaven by which a person can be saved. There's salvation in no one else but through Jesus Christ. There are not many ways. There's one way. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6.12, he says, and to ask Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Why would he teach them to ask God for forgiveness of their sins if they were going to be free from totally ever having to face sin again? It's confessing those to God. It's not your continual pattern, but you still wrestle with the sins in the world. Confess it and also forgive others. As you, God forgives the sins that you've done against him, you can forgive other people as they have wronged against you. Psalm 32, 3 to 5, David prayed, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What do you see in that? The love of God poured out through forgiveness, mercy, patience, when we acknowledge to him, instead of trying to cover up our sin or continue on in sin, we acknowledge it to him and says, I have sinned, I have wronged, and he forgives. And notice he says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin as well. In verse 10 of our passage, look at the last verse there, and we are kind of winding things up. I hope you're not disappointed. Here we go, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Would anyone ever who loves Jesus want, him to be, want Jesus to be called a liar? Absolutely not. But if we say, if we're going to stick to our guns and say well, we have sinned, we're actually a bad testimony. We're pointing to Christ and we're slandering his name. And the world, the unbelieving world, ridicules and mocks our belief in Christ because if, if we're the best example of what forgiveness is, we're a bad example. If we're walking in the light, then we'll show that to other people what light is really all about, what purity is all about, what holiness is all about. The first step to being saved is acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And to grow in your relationship with Christ, you must admit to Him when you sin, you agree with him on what he calls sin and you turn from it. You don't continue to do it. And you don't lie to yourself in order to convince yourself that because you are happy doing it, you can't be wrong because God wants you to be happy, right? How many times have you heard that? How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Oh, really? Most of the songs of the 80s were based on that sentiment. It's not true. God doesn't actually want you to be that happy. God wants you to be holy. And there's a difference from being what you call happy, it's for a moment over your sin, and being holy and being righteous in Christ is being transformed and given a new heart. We're told in 1 Peter 
1, 14 to 15, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Wow. Guard your hearts and your thoughts. Memorize Scripture and meditate on the Scripture. And in this you are choosing to learn and walk in the truth instead of darkness. I'm going to close with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He wrote, Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. What's your destiny? Have you walking, been walking in the light? And you can see the light on ahead as far as you can see, walking with Christ. Or do you look at your life now and say, I don't know, I see a lot of darkness. I see a lot of compromise. I see a lot of moments where it's all about me and the me show instead of about Jesus Christ. That's got to change. Brothers and sisters, walk in the light because God is the light and we delight to be in his presence. And remember that in Christ we are children of the light and citizens of the kingdom of God. And he commands us to share that light with those in darkness so that they too might be rescued and relocated. How can we tell someone else to walk in the light when we have one foot in the dark? Remember, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How you live shows who you are, not necessarily what you say if it's not backed up by your life. Are you a child of God in Christ or a slave to unrighteousness? You are either free to serve Christ as his child or you are bound in sin, spiritually blind, spiritually blind and imprisoned in the domain of darkness. You, you can't be angry at a blind person. We can't be angry at someone that's lost. We have pity for them. We have sorrow for them. We pray for them for their redemption so that they can finally see and know what real life is. Amen? That's why the gospel is so important. Not only are we obeying Jesus Christ, but we're seeing him transform lives through that. May God be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we make excuses for too many things. We allow ourselves to be led astray by various impulses, by various commercials or whatever else that the world tells us. We need this or we have to have that or this is okay, that's okay. And Lord, you tell us what's important. One thing is needed. To seek you first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. Lord, that's what we want. We want to seek your righteousness. We want to seek your kingdom. We want to glorify you in all that we do. We want to enjoy you forever. We want to love you with all of our heart, not some of our heart, not partial heart, but all of our heart. We want to walk in the complete light of your presence. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people.